Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along. Check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who doesn't know who broke his front gate this morning. He just doesn't know who it was. It's Richard Hurry. <laughs> Hello! Welcome to the show. I've eschewed Rick and Morty and I'm back to wearing my striped t-shirt. Some of you will be glad to see this. Uh, welcome to the show. It's called Rich Chang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Though I was hanging around with Lee Lard the other day. Uh, he's the guy who does the uh, Peter K tribute act. He does a tribute act. To just so He does another comedian's act. That's his act. I was meeting up with him to see if I could do a Lee Lard tribute act. He said he, he wouldn't allow it. He said it was wrong for someone just to copy someone else. He's a hypocrite in many ways. But anyway, he calls it Rahalester, but I don't know. I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, I, uh, I've had quite the week, I have to say. I've got a last-minute call. And you know, uh, to be on a TV show, and you know when you get a last-minute call, that knows that they, you know they really want you. Because that is like, they've waited for we'll get all the others. And then when we've got them, we'll see if Richard Herring will do it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, so I was on a show called Celebrity Games Night. It's going to be on Channel 5. Woo! Terrestrial TV. They went back. 
next week's guest, Amanda Abington, was on it. And because she's not here, because it's till next week, I can tell you she's a fucking dick. Uh, and uh, very competitive, very competitive, very competitive woman. Uh, well, I, I, in this, I, it's quite surreal, because I don't know why you would put me on that show or how I got on it. It's nice. It was Danny Baker and uh, Susan Cameron, who've both been on the show. Maybe they... Uh, I don't think they would. Uh, but maybe they did. But Louis Spence was one of the... Yeah, you know Louis Spence? The, he has, I think he's a dancer. I mean, I honestly didn't know who half the people were, and they definitely didn't know who I was. <laughs> when I was sitting in the makeup chair, the woman said, When's Richard? Who's Richard? When's he coming in? I was in the fucking makeup chair. <laughs> and then the woman said, This is Richard. Is it you, Richard? Then genuinely, that's what happened. How famous I am. Louis Spence, I believe he's a dancer. He's, he's quite... Uh, yeah. <laughs> How do you describe? He's outrageous, isn't he? That is quite. He's quite light on his feet as a dancer, and he's um, he's that's a terrible thing to say, Richard. It's alright, staying him. Uh, and I found myself in a bid-off war against Louis Spence to see who could put the most elastic bands over their face. And you know, <laughs> when I started last week, I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> Louis Spence just said he could get eighteen on his face. I said, "Go ahead, mate." No way you can do it. He did it. Uh, he did it easily. And I, it honestly, I think, is the best piece of TV that will be broadcast next year. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Look out for it. So uh, anyway, uh, and I accidentally hit Denise Van Outen over the head with my hand and nearly knocked her out. She'd already broken her foot. She, I went, hey, and like smacked Louis, Denise Van Outen in the face. So it's been quite the week for me. So I hope you've... And Amanda Abington was lovely, just in case she somehow sees this podcast. So it's just in case somehow she's with her, just in case she's watching it with her two young children and she sees a man immediately calling her a fucking idiot, just in case in that unlikely scenario. I apologise, Amanda. So uh, we'll crack on. Um, this week's guest is probably best known for his appearance on Red Dwarf A to Z. That's why we're here. I mean, a lot of you are going, oh, fuck, Red no, it was on that. That's exciting. Will you please welcome the amazing James O'Brien? Thank you very much. Welcome. Come in. Sit down. Thank you very much. Do you remember much about Red Dwarf A to Z? Uh, that's a little... Like, well, I, I, how, how, how much time should I take for the first hilarious showbiz anecdote? A lot. Say, you, I, can take a, you can take a this, good this, hour. You know Danny John Jules, who's on Streetly Come Dancing now? I do. He played the cat in Red Dwarf, and I was the world's worst gossip columnist. I can't, I have not thought about this for 20 years. And there was a, his, his aunt was a, working as a cleaner in a court, and something happened with a judge that I can't remember, but in order to get a response from the Red Dwarf press office, I pretended that I was the biggest ever fan of Red Dwarf <laughs> in the history of Red Dwarf. And about a year later, I got a phone call off a producer saying, we're putting together the A to Z of Red Dwarf and we really want some fans who are a bit younger. Will you come in and do it? And I'd never been on telly before, not since I was in the audience for Tizwas. In, um, oh, that's good. Ni- yeah, 1982. And I thought, I really want to be on telly. And I quite liked Red Dwarf, but I was yep. far from encyclopedic in my knowledge of it. So yes. I printed out everything in the Daily Express library on Red Dwarf and sat on a train to L Street, committing as much of it as I could to memory. And that is how I ended up on the it's, that's, what, that's all you have to do. I haven't gone back. <laughs> do you know that on the, the, this is someone yeah. from, uh, from, who's 
Twitter handle is Ganymede and Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working oh, with. Okay. He said, I hope that you will use the Red Dwarf A to Z as uh, you're best known for. And yes. he also said, will you discuss with him oh. the statement that he made? <laughs> <laughs> this is 1997 or something, where you said that without Crichton, there would be no data on Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, look at the reaction already. I just I was like, what? <laughs> when... Data first appeared on Star Trek on the 28th of yeah. September 1987, and Crichton didn't appear till the 6th of September 1988. So, I mean, how wrong, how wrong could you be, and so how could we there, trust anything else could you there say? Be, could, well, when you can make a statement like that about Red Dwarf. I can't believe it. Could there have been a transatlantic lag? Could, <laughs> could, could there have been a British version came out in Britain after the... What book, if... But uh, they still made it, hadn't What they? if you just travel back in time? That's what they do. Hey. Yeah, there we go. That's fine. Oh, man, it's that's all... embarrassing. Well, now it's explained. You explained it before I asked it yes. by the fact that you just printed up some facts. Yes. But I know that was me improvising. <laughs> that was me doing jazz on the A to Z of Red Dwarf because I'd learned some stuff and then I thought, well, I better have some pungent opinions yeah. as well so I went for the there would be no Crichton without what there'd be no data said, without Crichton what you should have said God. is what you nearly said there'd be no Crichton yeah, without data that's what you should have yeah, said but it would have been less of a tribute to Red Dwarf if I'd yeah. done that who played the original Crichton no, stop it who played the uh, Crichton original <laughs> you know you love Red Dwarf do you wasn't you thinking Robert Llewellyn aren't you mate great, yeah you no. idiot Go on. it wasn't Robert Llewellyn can't remember who it was I'm not that much of a nerd so it's um <laughs> Welcome to the show. You bought new trainers today. I saw you tweeting about them, and here they are. Here they are. My midlife crisis with laces. <laughs> exactly that. Feelers. Bring me back. Manchester 1990. I haven't owned a pair since. I'm very chuffed with They're them. They're big, aren't they? They are big. They're kind of shoes I white. should be wearing to make myself a bit taller. <laughs> no, I'm pleased with them. Yeah, they're very nice. Well done. Thank you. How old are you? 40? 46, 46 and, and a half. <laughs> should be like me, grown up. You should grow up and yeah. be more like me. I know. Um, <laughs> so, well, what, what shall we talk about first? That is probably something I should have thought about before we started the interview. This is just a little, little tip for you. Um, I have... <laughs> I have <laughs> Thanks. Should have done some research, but I just went to the yeah. Daily Express, just printed print, it up. Exactly that. That's a little tip <laughs> for you. Stuff the top. I've been reading your book, so let's go straight into the book. I've been reading your book, uh, how, how to Be Right. In a World Gone Wrong. Okay. Yeah, it's not quite as arrogant as it sounds without the little <laughs> sentence The little underneath. sentence is very little. It is though. very little, but it's, it's, I think it's pertinent. Okay. Uh, and it's, uh, you, when I was on uh, your, your chat show, your, yeah. your podcast, you were writing this book back in, in, it was like only in June or it, something. It wasn't that long ago. And no. like, there's some things in it. I go, fuck, that happened yesterday. How, yeah. did, that, how did that get in this it, book? It, it was very tight to the <laughs> deadline. The original epilogue comes up with some suggestions about how we can make the world a little less terrifying than it is now and the first two suggestions I made was that Paul Dacre should no longer be editor of the Daily Mail and Alex Jones and Infowars should be taken off social media and I <laughs> delivered the manuscript and a week later Paul Dacre got um, moved along as editor of the Daily Mail and Alex Jones got taken off social media so I was thinking about adding a, a line about sort of cancelling Brexit and me having a Lamborghini delivered to the house on a, on a Friday morning but, but it, it didn't work it's exciting when things like that happen when you I was writing a script this week about my dad but it's my, sort of based on my family but oh, there's yeah. a character in it that's basically my dad and I was writing a, a and this has never happened actually in this way I was writing a routine about him having an iPad and it's not connecting to the internet yeah. and he's gone round to the grand, grandsons and they, they, he's just turned it on to airplane settings blah 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 
as I was writing it, my dad rang me up and said, my Wi-Fi has no. gone down. How do I make... <laughs> none of my things are connecting up. It was really fucking freaky. It, it's freakier when... No, they just wrote it all down when, and it's in the script now, so it's fine. It's freakier <laughs> when they're really fluent with technology. It's yeah. freakier when you bump into your mum on Facebook and she's sort of sharing weird memes and, and cat videos as though you didn't even know that she had a computer. When, when I mentioned the Express... And, and the fact that shows how old I am because there was no internet connection on, when I first started on newspapers. There was no internet connection in the whole of the Express newsroom, which is why I had to print out page and page and page of old Red Dwarf reviews. Right. But talking of old people and technology, the guy I took over from as showbiz editor, um, he was he, literally like he'd sort of stepped out of central casting in, in 1954. And when we had our computer training, when they delivered all the big computers, we were all sitting there waiting to find out what to do. And he picked up his mouse and just... Pointed it. <laughs> <laughs> and he got quite irate that the thing wouldn't turn off. <laughs> didn't, didn't last long. <laughs> My dad can't work an iPad, but he worked on the first computer. He was at Manchester University, and they had like one of the first computers wow. in the nineteen fifties. Seriously? Yeah. Gosh. I didn't know this, and when he, when they had their. 50th, well, yeah. no, it was when it was his 80th birthday. My brother did this big speech and he'd found oh, his wow. dissertation and everything Fantastic. that he wrote about. Can't work an iPad though. <laughs> anyway, it's not much <laughs> use, is it? <laughs> I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty old, to be fair. Um, my, no, dad, my dad's worth following on. My dad's on Facebook. That's partly what this, this script is about because my dad's gone on Facebook and I've just used a couple of things that he said on Facebook. But he like goes through and he'll find my wife's feed and then there's a picture of my wife with some of. Her friends, just something that my dad should not be, you know, seeing get, stuff. Well, getting involved in. Oh, I, he, 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 he put on it. Not my favourite picture, but who cares what I think? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think pretty much sums up the internet, doesn't it? That is my dad is sort of. I like that. I, 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 I mean, <laughs> he's ahead of the game. I, I had a pic with my, but my dad's not not with us anymore. But I had a picture of me with my firstborn and we were drinking I was drinking wine and, and the, the baby was in my arm and I was in France on holiday and all, all perfectly above board my dad just wrote bit irresponsible <laughs> from my sister's Facebook account so I phoned her up and said what are you doing and he goes oh, it was dad sorry I don't <laughs> when we well, my wife posted some pictures of when my, our daughter was born so the real baby pictures and my dad just popped up and he said oh thanks for those pictures They've, we've just watched 12 Years a Slave and it's really cheered us up that's my that's my <laughs> family eh but my mum's hairdresser is a, is a lovely woman but her late brother is the superstar DJ Tony DeVitt who, okay. who, who I was actually quite a fan of back in the day that's, as my trainers attest and, um, and, and of course that means that mum sometimes retweets her stuff so I've got mum tweeting a sort of hardcore DJ a tribute concert coming up on September the 4th and mum what, what? but obviously she's not attending it herself <laughs> so I didn't, well, I didn't really I don't think I knew that you were the showbiz editor the, was it the Express yes yeah. during a brief period of liberalism I should stress and it used to be a brilliant newspaper and now it's utterly rancid and in between being brilliant and utterly rancid there was a few years when it was owned by a Labour Party peer, Lord Hollick, and edited by Rosie Boycott, who'd founded Spare Rib magazine. So it was, a, it was an experiment in popular liberalism that wasn't wholly successful. <laughs> and that, that is partly how I ended up as show business editor. I'd, I'd arrived on Fleet Street wanting to be a theatre critic or a book reviewer, um, but I ended up as show business editor of the Daily Express. <laughs> and what kind of showbiz events does the Daily oh, Express show? You go to everything, and you sound a bit a bit of a dick when you start complaining about it. But it's not much fun. I mean, you're all right. This is sort of there are two sides of the red carpet, and if you're on this side of the red carpet, you're you're basically just sticking a microphone under people's 
noses and trying to annoy them to a degree that they'll say something. And that's, that's an evolution from where I started, because I started as a gossip columnist. And that is utterly vile. That is such an awful way to make a living. You're not particularly embarrassing these people, but you walk into a room, a film premiere party, and this is what I mean by it sounding a bit silly when you complain, but you you won't get paid the next day unless you come out of there with a story and that involves getting someone to say something to you that they're probably going to regret and, and I also I don't, it's like my I'm, job it, well it, it, yeah it, <laughs> but it's alright here it, yeah. if you had to go into that room now and just march up to people it, you'd be, again you'd be alright because you'd have the microphone and they wouldn't but this was their turf so yeah. any social anxiety you had I'd regularly throw up sort of <laughs> lived on canapes at the time and regularly be so nervous that I'd bring up a few canapes before I went back into the room and tried to get I don't know, Giles Brandreth to say something vaguely controversial about the current government. It was a living. Was, what can I say? The worst was Sean Connery. Really? The, the, I mean, the, the all-time worst was Sean Connery. So the very first gig I did, I got sent, and I was selling suits at the time, and all the traineeships, every attempt to go onto Fleet Street had failed. And I was, I'd applied to be the area manager for Aquascooting because I thought journalism isn't going to happen. And I got given the opportunity. To, I went to Downing Street. I sold a white suit to John Major. I phoned up the... Daily Express gossip column and said, I've sold a white suit to John Major. And they said, I'll give you 500 quid, which you wouldn't get now for a story. Um, and I said, can I have some shifts instead? So they said, yeah, come and do a couple of shifts. First shift, go to the National Theatre. It is Dickie Attenborough's 80th birthday party. Wall-to-wall famous people. Everywhere you look, Jeremy Irons, Sir John Mills. Um, proper famous people, you know. And I, I, I just I cacked myself. I, couldn't, I didn't talk to anyone except Clive Anderson, who was the only person in the room more nervous than me. I went, I went back to the Daily Express, and the photographer had been there, and the editor of the column is going, did you talk to him? No. Did you talk to her? No. Did you talk to him? No. That was my first of two shifts. The next night, they sent me to an Oscar winners thing, British Oscar winners, and there was a rumour Sean Connery was going to turn up, which no one else believed, but I thought, right, if I can get a line out of him, I might rescue this appalling situation. <laughs> Sean Connery turns up at Alina's L'Etoile, which was a fancy restaurant on Charlotte Street. Um, he arrives, everyone shouts at him, have you got something to say, got a word for the Daily Mail, got a word for the Daily Express, and he just walks past, completely ignores everybody. And I think, well, I can't, I can't let this happen. So he's walking up the corridor, and, and I've got all the proper journalists around me all looking around to see who's coming in next. And I said, have you... Um, have you had the chance to see Jason's Macbeth yet, Mr. Connery? Because his son Jason had just made a film of Macbeth, and right. he didn't reply to that either. He just carried on walking. So I went, what, what's wrong? Are you a bit jealous that you never got the chance to play the part yourself? <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the other journalists, he turns around, and he starts walking back down the corridor. And he's, and he's quite a big man, and all the other journalists sort of faded into the background and he leaned down and it, it was hard enough to make my eyes water Is it, he hit me on the nose like that and he said I played the part before you were born do your fucking homework shunny like this <laughs> and I, and I, and I, I realised I was never going to make a living as an impressionist so I better <laughs> I better make the journalism work and that was the first story I got was me wow. being nasally assaulted by Sean Connery <laughs> It's <laughs> great. Well, it's, it's interesting. The I mean, in the book you talk about the sort of the way the newspapers have changed, mm. and I, it's I mean, obviously with everything that's going on in the in the world as well at the moment about uh, you know there being no truth anymore yes. and uh, that, well, everything's fake news. But in a way, the, the the way politicians and journalists have made it easy for those things to to happen, haven't they? Because there's been so many lies in journalism and so many lies in politics within sort of certain gentlemanly boundaries and then someone goes, oh, but let's push that bit further, push that bit further. Yes. And then no one believes yeah. journalists because... Yeah, it's been astonishing. It's not over yet. As no. you've seen, you know, just in the last 24 hours, Donald Trump trying to blame 
blame the victims of terrorism for, for terrorism, or indeed the people reporting terrorism for, yeah. for terrorism. And I don't know where, where, where you'd date it to, but you, you've got it absolutely right. There has been a sort of breaking of a bond, and, and the bond was a broad basis of objectivity. So although you might disagree furiously about policy, you could at least agree about what words meant. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and we can't even do that anymore. So the, the Soros stuff is astonishing. I haven't really gone that heavily in on Soros before, but I did today. And, and Twitter, you know, it, I, I, even by the standards of Twitter, the Soros stuff is so embedded. Just before I came on, a woman in New South Wales has, has tweeted to tell me that George Soros interferes in elections so that he can take over all these governments and then enslave them to a socialist money-lending uh, model. And you, you sort of think, I don't know where you are in New South Wales, but you're not getting this from what you'd call traditional news sources. And then, of course, when they see how well it's doing on places like Breitbart or wherever it may be, InfoWars, I've got, I, I think what, what was laughably referred to as the mainstream media moves. It moves in pursuit of the clicks and the... And the truth gets left behind. And, and that, that, I genuinely think, is where we are. But you saw it first with vaccines. I'd go back to MMR. Yeah. Um, and then climate change. And the idea that, you know, here is 99% of the world's scientists. And here's Nigel Lawson. And I, I'm now going to give them both equal weight and attention in a BBC studio. And you wonder why we've now got a, a president of, of America who's essentially promising to reopen coal mines. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. And you, in the book, I think you talk about... Um obviously Rupert Murdoch changing mm. the kind of landscape. I think he did. I'm not quite, not quite old enough to be sure, but my dad was on the Daily Telegraph and uh, there was some point, he, he always said to me, in the, in the early 80s, when all the journalists from all the other newspapers, would, would the pack as, it, as, as you know it's called, they'd all be filing the same story even though it was done in very different ways. So, the, you know, the mirror might take the NUM's line on a miners' strike story, whereas the, uh, the mail might have gone more down the, the coal board's line. My dad, oddly, it's hard to believe now when you look at what's become of the Telegraph, was scrupulously objective. I used to answer the phone as a kid, and it, 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 I won't do an impression again. I've, I've treated you to the only one I'm going to do tonight. The Arthur Scargill on the other like, Can I speak to your dad? And I'd go and get a dad, and it was Arthur Scargill, which I wasn't very... And then, but literally half an hour later, the head of the coal board, who I think was called McGregor, yeah. would ring up, and they'd both be talking to dad to get, to get a proper story. My godfather, my uncle Martin, by contrast, he was a football correspondent for the News of the World in the Northwest. So if I answered, I used to stay with them quite a lot when I was a kid. And if I ever answered the phone in their house, it could quite easily be Kenny Dalgleish or Ian Rush <laughs> on the other end of the phone. I hated my dad. At that, at that period of like, why the hell can't Kenny Dalgleish be ringing our house? Oh, the bloody Scargill. But, um, but he said, dad always said that there was a moment where the sun stopped, they, they, the rest of them stopped recognising the story that was appearing in the sun. And if you read some of the stuff Mackenzie said, this would be a bit later, about really just pursuing, he didn't put it this well, but... Um, just pursuing the, the strongest emotional reaction yeah. being the priority of a story, regardless of the fact. So if it, and that was a precursor of clickbait, if you think about it. What they were doing was trying to get the biggest rush of blood to the head, the biggest outpouring of anger, the biggest um, kind of articulation of fear. And they would do that by doing what they do now, the othering and the demonizing and the, and the discrimination. But... But, but it, it started, Dad always said, around... They could almost pinpoint the date and yeah. the bloke, their mate on the sun, everything changed slightly. Yeah, it's, well, it's sort of... You, know, you can't 
I know, it, 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 it's interesting that 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 you know those lies. It's when so even like Boris Johnson making up the the bananas thing. Yeah, you know, same probably, exactly that. It's an evolution. It's probably the reason we're not going to be in Europe next year. Yes, is because Boris Johnson made up that lie that then everyone. And what I'm interested in, I wonder is, and obviously through the radio show you do LBC, you're talking to a lot, <laughs> a lot of people who have uh, strongly different views to you. Um, yes, and, and have different kind of elements of fact. You, you, in the beginning, you quote lots of these yes. stories in the book. But uh, is it that they? Is is it just if you've got something that backs up what you want to happen, you're prepared to quote it as a fact, or you know, I, I, do you think they yeah, believe? In, I think in it's a bit chicken and egg. I, I don't know what comes first: the depiction of the specific to Brexit, the depiction of the European Union as our enemy, which doesn't actually make sense. But it did sell newspapers. So to give the story its full context, Boris Johnson arrived at the Daily Telegraph after being fired from the Times for making up quotes from his own godfather. <laughs> he, he got onto the traineeship at, at, at the Times. I, I can't think how, having been brought up on the mean streets of South Shields, and struggling his way to the forefront. And, and then he ended up on the Telegraph, where, where he didn't really find a natural home. So they sent him to Brussels, and, and he, as he puts it himself, he couldn't believe the sound of greenhouses shattering as he lobbed these rocks, which were almost all nonsense yeah. from Brussels. And so that created this narrative of nonsense, which then morphed, and I'm not sure when, because I was too busy being showbiz editor of the Express at the time, <laughs> but that morphed into the EU, and the, all this stuff about the EU SSR and the Fourth Reich and this idea that they were our enemies. And, I mean, Goebbels understood this better than anyone once you have sowed the seed in someone's mind that there is an enemy at the gates reason and facts often go out of the window so i don't think boris johnson intended any of this to happen when he started filing crap from brussels in the 1980s but but i I do think you can trace it back yeah and then everyone else piles in they see how well he's doing so you know someone else starts right and then they start doing the opinion pieces rather than the news pieces and then they they hear someone like johnson or farage on the telly saying stuff that's not being properly challenged so they stay themselves down the pub or they say it themselves around the dinner table and no one properly challenges it and then sometimes not always and but far from it they ring me and they say the same stuff and i ask them to explain what they mean by it and uh, no one's more shocked than they are by the fact that they can't yeah well it's not this that is the uh, it's almost the motif of the book isn't it is that there's all you, you do all these uh, clips from the show and yeah you, you just saying well what what does political correctness mean and people can't say what they no, mean they've by got it. no idea i mean that's an interesting example because again which you say really is that that became popular Yes. Really, by spitting image, taking the piss out of it. And yeah. if they hadn't taken the piss out of it, I don't think it would have been. You do wonder, a don't you? you? You do want political correctness gone mad. Yeah. Must have got great attraction after the spitting image puppets yeah. did it. And, and prior to that, what did it mean? All these stories aren't true about the flags being taken down from town halls or Christmas being banned. The, the, the Christmas. So it's not just the cause. I tried to find out how people have ended up in these positions so I look it up I research it and because I know it'll come up again on a future show and the Christmas being banned story is almost heartbreakingly poignant there's a fella whose name I forget but it's in the book who's like a, the marketing director Colin but, Duff is what I'm thinking that, yeah, um, rings a bell just, actually I've just read it there, no like you that. could be right and, and he came up with what is actually a rather good idea to save money for Birmingham City Council which is instead of putting the lights and the tinsel up and then taking it down again for all the different festivals that unfold between the sort of end of September and end of January he thought 
Let's leave all the decorations up. Let's turn Birmingham into a city of festivals and parties and seasonal celebrations, and let's call it Winterville. <laughs> and in the middle of it, we'll have Christmas with a bloody great Christmas tree and lots of Christmas cards and lots of Christianity and stuff. But of course, it gets filtered through the Daily Mail or the Telegraph. I think it was the Mail that went mad on this one. And, and, and the story is that they're trying to ban Christmas. That, that is, you won't believe it when you read it, like syllable for syllable, how it all actually unfolded, culminating in a public statement being made by Birmingham City Council in response to some bishop got involved in it all, started moaning about it, and they said, we've got a picture of the bishop's house on the front of our <laughs> council Christmas card. They couldn't, I mean, it, so that, that I think is how it happens, because people like being frightened and they like being angry, and there yeah. are plenty of people prepared to cash checks ensuring that they are very frightened but then very yeah, so they accept that and then it becomes a fact and then yeah but it does become this. a fact so the same with the flags I, I yeah. researched that one the idea that they had to take down the union flag from council buildings because, because the Muslims complained and it was one little village where the real reason that they didn't buy a new union flag was because they only had one flagpole so they, they only needed one flag so they didn't they did, so. <laughs> So the council, it's practically a village council, it's not even a town council, are having a big discussion about whether or not they should buy a new flag, and it's decided that they shouldn't. One woman councillor present said something about the flag of St. George being associated with the Crusades, but largely because they only had one flagpole, they decided to stick with the Union Jack and not buy a flag of St. George. Somehow the story got inflated, culminating in every single Muslim group in the area saying, this is ridiculous, we don't care what flags you cite, but it didn't matter. By then the story, and I still get calls now, 20 years later, saying, you're not allowed to fly the flag of St. George outside council buildings. Yeah. Happy days. (laughs) I find it interesting um, with your show... I mean, people are ringing you up. They know you're pretty good at arguing, and they want to argue no, with you. They don't. <laughs> this, is, this is a beauty of the internet, which acts like a red button for what happens on the radio show, is that they think I'm a fraud. They think that all the other callers that have got through before them have been specially selected for, for not being very good. Or, <clears throat> or no, you, you think I'm exaggerating. So, some of them are actors apparently, that I pay my actor friends to ring in and pretend to lose arguments to make me look good. So they get on, and and the only real criteria we have for getting on are are confidence, more than anything else, because there's not much point someone coming on and sounding unsure or querulous. You know, if you're really confident, you get the bloke ringing in and say, I know why this is, political correctness gone mad, and then they'll get put through to where if they sound confident, and then then they suddenly realise, Christ, he doesn't he doesn't cherry pick the bad ones. He puts through the people who think they're brilliant. That's exactly how and why it works. But um, you can explain it to them. You can't understand it for them. <laughs> and do you think they're representative? The, pe- do the kind of people who ring up a, a talk show are representative of the, of the public in general? Or do you think it's a certain type of person who wants to... Both. I mean, I mean the, the, the only downside to this weird kind of success that the viral clips have had that have led to the book is that they're, they're, they're a tiny part of the show the show is actually really illuminating and 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 warm and welcoming and educational and i now get calls if we're discussing <clears throat> something to do with energy policy i'll get calls from the guy who designed uh, a power station and the the, the 80 of the calls we get are really really wonderful the the, the ones who, who of course attract inevitably the most the most attention um, I, I don't think they're representative of of anyone really, except the the furiously hard of thinking. The kind of <laughs> no, that's unkind. The the 
that, that, like I say, the people who are so utterly convinced that they're right, and and that is dangerous. Yeah, says a bloke who's written a book called How to Be Right. <laughs> because they, I mean, say one in a hundred people listening will ever ring in, and then of that one in a hundred, probably ten percent of that are going to ring in because they think they're going to be able to beat me up live on the radio and, yeah. and I don't think they're representative of a very large constituency most people prefer to stay on Twitter saying oh if, if I went on there I'd kill him but they won't let me on he only uses actors and cherry pick calls <laughs> but I think that you know that it's interesting that most of us probably have views that we just accept as true that if mm. we rang up and, tr- and someone you know with the right research and the right t- tools discussed it with you you would go oh hold on maybe that isn't true you know yes. I mean we all you know I, th- I think the Brexit thing's very interesting because I and you say this in the book beforehand you know you were a Remainer but you didn't really know much about it and no. I just you know I was just like I think Europe's a good thing yeah and without much evidence I, beyond, know, I, I no. wanted to go abroad and not yeah. have to pay a visa and, and, and also one of my best friends is the son of a very prominent Eurosceptic MP. So I, I kind of I, I read the Maastricht Treaty. That's how exciting my teenage years were. <laughs> and, and I knew what some of the complaints involved. I knew what some of the negatives were. So I was close to ambivalent. And I made them... I think what I regret most is I was working for the BBC at the time. I was doing Newsnight, which meant that the, the, the impartiality thing gets extended to all the work that you do. Yeah. So I, I shouldn't have done that. I should have knocked the Newsnight on their head much sooner. And I should really have swatted up on the European Union a lot more like I would normally do with other subjects and I should have gone in with a really strong fact-based opinion but I didn't I kept it really I even had Jacob Rees-Mogg in the studio in the run-up and and didn't try to land a punch on him I just wanted because I well don't laugh because he he wasn't he was still a joke back then he wasn't actually a haunted pencil who may end up coming close to running the country so so I, I I just felt well he seems like a clever chap um yeah. Um, <laughs> it can't be all as bad as what that Project Fear lot are saying because he, a couple of the people, like my mate's dad and Jacob Rees-Mogg, are all right. But ultimately, I think I cast my vote because of the personalities of a lot of people on the other side. I thought, yeah. well, if, that is, if, if, if Johnson and Farage and Gove are leading, then I'm not following, Where even if they're going to... Yeah. You know, paradise. I'm not. I'm not following them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know how wrong I turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it's good to challenge. I guess that doesn't yes. happen. You know, it's good to challenge your own views. Yes, which you know, and to and I've to been wrong about them. lots of things. Yeah. So that's the nicest thing. Again, that's what perhaps people who don't listen to the show just know it from the clips won't realise. I, I, I mean, really great moments of of transformation where you realise you were horribly wrong. I used to get. There's a danger of getting on your high horse, obviously. And also, <clears throat> until relatively recently, I felt compelled to have a strong opinion about almost everything. And no one normal does. You know, <laughs> Richard Littlejohn does. <laughs> <laughs> so I started thinking maybe I'm wrong about stuff. Well, sometimes I'd say I don't know what to think. And just a couple of examples. One of my favourites was I used to say teachers shouldn't be allowed to have tattoos. Right. Or visible tattoos. And... Um, and I meant it. I, I, I did. I, you know, I'm a bit, bit. I suppose I'm a bit snobbish, perhaps, or I was. And I was talking about I don't want my because it's messy and it, 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 not really defensible anymore. But a woman rang in, who had graduated top in her class as a pediatric nurse in intensive care, and she said, "I'm covered in tattoos, James. If if one of your children <laughs> comes into my <laughs> my ward as a you know after having a terrible accident, would would you like me to?" Passed them on to someone. I went, all right, I'm a dick. I got that, <laughs> I got that, I got that horribly wrong. 
Um, and so there's some areas where you're not allowed to think. The trans debate is quite frightening at the moment because you're not allowed to think. You have to nail your colours completely to one mast or the other and, and then defend it furiously while the other side bombard you with all sorts of abuse. And I, I don't know what to make of all of the issues attendant upon um, on trans at the moment, but I don't know where you're allowed to go in Britain at the moment in, in a public space to actually have a conversation about that and a bit of a think. I'm a big fan of thinking. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I think that's the problem with maybe nearly everything. Yeah. Is people have made up their minds and won't talk about it, won't, you know, will just say, you know, this is it's fake quite, news quite... or this is, this is, you know, this is what I think or this, I've decided this person is wrong and therefore they're evil in everything they yes. think. Yes. You know, it's, that's a very confusing debate and it needs to be debated. There's things in it, it that it need really to be does. debated. And, and you don't... And so that we can all... Come in this, and that's why... That, there's a few things that seem to have changed through the internet and, you know, yes. this sort of innocent till proven guilty is sort of slowly going out the window and in lots of ways that's a good thing yeah. but then you know it, it's not a good thing as well because you we can't just be going someone's accused someone of something and therefore they've done it no because that leads to oh, yeah, no, terrible of terrible it, places of course it does and, and you know every week there's another story emerging and, and a small percentage of the accusations and allegations that are brought will turn out not to be true and you have to accommodate that within any coverage of the and you can't when it's uh, it's essentially a, a baying mob or two baying mob it's football yeah. Everything is is, is, is is turned into football. You, you you know when you're watching the football, and you, your defender commits a stone cold foul. It's a penalty. The bloke's got two broken legs. He's lying on the floor in the <laughs> in the penalty area, and the and the defender that's done it to him is is, is doing a lap of honour. And you're there going, "That's not a penalty, ref. No way. You know it's a penalty, but it's your team. Yeah. Right. So it's not a penalty. And and the same at the other end of the park when. You know, the ref says it wasn't a goal, you were offside, and everyone knows you, you were a mile offside. The, 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 the other team was still on the bus when you slotted it to the net. <laughs> that's not offside yet, the referee's a wanker. And, and that's what's happened to almost every area of politics now. I don't really understand why, because, of course, the, possibly the biggest constituency is the unrepresented one in Britain now. It's the middle ground that is, is unpersuaded by either Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party or, or, or Theresa May's shower. And they, that, that, they're the people that no one is really representing at the moment, yeah. and yet... Every issue, every debate is, is descends almost within moments into into you know rovers versus. Well, and it fuels city. each other, and so you know, so yeah. like, so the we the left wing can look at the right wing and go, they, they're doing this new terrible thing, yeah. and then the right wing and the left wing go, and now they say you can't do this, yeah, you know, and, and, and people are actually saying those things <laughs> now, you yeah, know. They are. So some some of those things you sort of almost feel like are there people pretending to be right-wing or left-wing people in order to make the right-wing and left-wing look ridiculous because it's getting, you know, it's, they're sort of pushing buttons. And so, really, the resp- the, re- the correct response to... And it, re- it is very reminiscent of the 1930s in Germany, unfortunately, yeah. with a very weak political yes. system. Yes. And then people getting... People going, it's either... This. Well, Brazil, is either, it's either this or this, isn't it? And they've gone for, they've gone for the... Yeah. They've gone for a full-on fascism. Yeah, fascism. Yes. Uh, against, but if someone well, was in the middle... You know what the BBC did earlier? This proves your point. They've deleted the tweet now, but the BBC put... So, I mean, this is a guy who has said, I won't rape... I would never have raped you because you're too ugly. If my son was gay, I'd rather he was dead. Um, something similarly toxic about immigrants. And the BBC are doing... Um, I can't remember word for word what it was. I'm sure other people have seen it, but it was something like, is this guy a, a, an authoritarian or is he just sharing some uncomfortable but refreshing truths and you sort of not quite I probably haven't got that word for word but they've deleted it so I'm not far off and that's what's happened because then when they defended it they said we were merely trying to reflect a spectrum of opinion but there are things that this is again what I meant by the meaning of words there are things that define you as a fascist 
And, you know, the, the, the kind of weaponized persecution of minorities is, is one of the biggest giveaways. Misogyny is one of the biggest giveaways. But when there's enough of them lined up in a row, all on the same person's CV, he is a fascist. It's not an opinion anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a dictionary definition. But even, I think, I think BBC shoulder a lot of blame for this notion that you can have a spectrum of fact. And, again, we come back to... Um, it began with the MMR vaccine and climate change, and it culminates, and people don't realise this, it culminates with a clown like Farage turning up with a film crew outside Great Ormond Street Hospital because a Twitter mob thinks they know more about how to treat an acutely ill child than the doctors and surgeons inside, and they honestly believe that their opinion is as valid as medical expertise. You saw, I had Sir Paul Nurse on my radio show the other day, former head of the Royal Academy. Now, I'm not saying he's a good scientist, but he's won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> He's won a Nobel Prize <laughs> for science. And he's been doing science for 50 years. And he says Brexit poses the biggest threat to science in this country, research in particular and funding, than, than anything in my 50 years of being a scientist has done. But Gary in Staines knows more <laughs> about science when he gets onto the Twitter or the Facebook than a Nobel Prize winning scientist. And it, it is... If you map it properly, it's a progression. This didn't happen overnight. And, and it, you know, it, 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 I think it began with, with the MMR vaccines and, and climate change. If I was older, I'd probably have better examples. But for me, that was the moment where I felt that we were smuggling a spectrum of facts, or at least a spectrum. I mean, science is not about facts. It's about the best available explanation for the observable evidence. So the paradigm does shift if the facts change. So the theory of relativity even has been overtaken by a superior explanation of the observable evidence. And also with stuff like um, the Hadron Collider, more stuff becomes observable than it was last time you wrote your paradigm. So it's not, it's not binary. It's not right or wrong. It's just the best available explanation. Climate change being a brilliant example of that. And you find some half-witted blogger um, and, and some the, the dodgy politician with who knows what vested interests and, and, and funding behind him, and they get put on the Today programme and treated with the same reverence and respect as somebody like Sir Paul Nurse or, or Brian Cox, you know? Well, it's also it's, it's the, the balance has become take someone from one extreme or someone from another extreme. Where maybe someone happen? in the middle, but maybe not. Do you know and that's like balance, whereas... You know, yes, I, I don't know if it was always like that. Again, I, I kind of ended up in this line of work by accident, so I can't remember what it was like 20 years ago. But I, I would much rather, as a journalist... Certainly when I was doing Newsnight, I'd much rather just interview one really clever person. Yeah. You know? Rather than have one really clever person here and one twat sitting there saying, no, he's got it all wrong. He doesn't know anything. Globalism. And and you're not allowed to do that. And I don't really understand why. I'm I'm hoping to get something off the ground soon where where it's all about light. All light, no heat. Because I think we've gone the other way now. It's all heat, no light. But we'll have to wait and see. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The climate change thing is an interesting thing because the people, I mean, are, they, are the people who are denying it just saying, I don't really care, what, I'll be dead in 30 years time as long as I make some money that, now. That's become American government policy yeah. under Donald Trump, which is, is it, I mean, they've come pretty close to saying, oh, all right, we were wrong. <laughs> and, and there is such a thing as anthropocentric climate change. We are actually heating up the planet and we are all probably going to die much sooner than we need to as a result. But it's too late to do anything about it now. So, hey, let's reopen some coal mines. <laughs> and, and that's pretty close to, 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 to where, where Trump is. I think it's all, I mean, you know, it's all about money. And some of these, what I've re- realized latterly, actually, while writing this book as well, is a lot of the people that, that I've seen on programs or even appeared on panels with, I don't know who pays their wages. I don't know who, who pays the Taxpayers Alliance. Um, I don't know who pays the Institute of Economic Affairs. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch. That, that I think it's 55 Tufton Street is, is an address at which a surprising number of think tanks, which is essentially mysteriously funded lobby groups, all, all feed at the same trough. I don't know why yet. I'm, it, may, it may actually be another, the next thing I do on, on a book level of stuff. But I, I think that... If, I mean, depending on where the funding is coming from, there's a climate change. I think Lawson's climate change outfit is in the same right. building. And um, if, if you were making a ton of money out of oil, and, and most of the very, very rich people in the world are going to be quite heavily invested in oil, um, you'd be terrified, wouldn't you, of governments introducing policies to stop people from using oil. And you wouldn't want to put all your money into sustainable because... That's what sustainable means. If it's sustainable, you can't send me a bill every month. Or if you can, it's, it's, it's rental for my windmill. Or it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not digging stuff out of the ground, finite resources, as the prices go up, flogging them on an industrial global scale and making billions and billions and billions of dollars as a result. So, you know, look at the effort that was put into tobacco by vested interests and lobbies. So just denying, even after... People were dying in the streets of lung cancer, metaphorically speaking, and you'd still have the tobacco lobby claiming there was nothing wrong with it, or even if there was something wrong with it, it's the nanny state that's stopping us from, from killing ourselves. So I, I think it probably all boils down to money, and, and the conspiracy theories don't help because they come up with other answers to this question where the answer is really the simplest of all. It's Tolstoy, I think, who said, behind every great crime, no, behind every great fortune, there is a great crime. And I suspect climate change a hundred years from now, if we're still here, I suspect that that, that will be the, the conclusion that historians of the future draw. Yeah, it's I think. depressing. Isn't it? I mean, it's all well, quite it depressing. It, it's, not, it's not a very cheerful time no. to be alive in many ways. But, you know... I mean, do you think, I sort of feel like it's un, all of it's unstoppable. So do I don't you? Think, yeah. Well, I, on the well, climate front, well, or on everything. everything. That's, you know, that's, 
Well, here's the thing. That's I, I, at least 20 years away. In the next, you know, five years, I think Brexit's got to happen. Do you? I think, yeah, I think it's got to happen. Yeah. I want it to happen now. Do you? Yeah, just, hard, just, to get over and, just to get it over and done with. I'm hard Brexit. Oh, are you really? Yeah. Hard Brexit. Hard, <laughs> hard for no Brexit. No deal Brexit. Yeah. We've got to give them exactly what they wanted, and then if it works, you can go, oh, well done, mate. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you can go, that, that, they can say it's still your fault. Yeah, but they won't. <laughs> They'll deny That's the thing. So I, I, that's a very compelling argument, that, that they have to own it, and it has to go wrong so that they own it. But they will never own it. You're talking about deeply, deeply cynical and, and dishonest people. Almost all of them, when you think about it, have, have had hiccups in their career that should have derailed them. You know, Liam Fox. It's only relatively recently. He was the artist known as the disgraced Liam Fox. He only came back into cabinet relatively recently. Um, uh, Boris Johnson has, has had more calamities in his personal <laughs> and his professional life than a Dickens novel. He should never really have been allowed back on to the front line of British politics. Farage is a man who, who, who lied about an assassination attempt. He told lies about an assassination attempt to, to, to kind of get the narrative of victimhood and a bit of newspaper cover. All of these people in, in other lines, we're not made like that, the rest of us. If, if you screw up on an epic scale or you get caught with your fingers in the till, you wouldn't think, oh, I'll just sit. Well, maybe you would. I don't, I don't, I don't know you that well. I didn't know you were a Brexiter. But, uh, but, but most, hard Brexit. Hard Brexit. Most of us wouldn't sit there going, okay, yeah, all right. I, I'll, just, I'll just step back from the limelight for a couple of years and then I'll be back doing what I was doing before I got caught. So if it all goes horribly, horribly wrong, they will blame it on the European Union, who've, who've made it absolutely clear what their position is from the very beginning. What we're trying to do is convince them to change the rules of their club as a reward for us no longer being members. That is two and a half years of politics there in a sentence. That is what we are trying to do. And why they can't realise that that is unlikely to work, to be charitable, continues to be beyond me. So what they have to do is come up with a reason why it's not their fault. So first of all, you resign if you're David Davis or Boris Johnson. You've had just over two years of personal responsibility for delivering this thing that you said would be easy. As soon as it looks like it might not be easy, it might actually be impossible, you resign. Because then you can get back onto the sidelines and start throwing rotten tomatoes at the poor sods left on the stage trying to make a make a fist of the mess that you've left them with. So the European Union will get the blame. Ramona's will get the blame. Lily Allen will doubtless get the blame for <laughs> a huge... Although now that Dake is not at the Daily Mail anymore, there might, might be a slight redrawing of that target. It, but it will never be them. It will never be their fault. I, I tweeted in July 2016, um, Farage will be back, but not immediately, not as quickly as last time. He needs Brexit to unfold a bit before he can return bleating about betrayal. And it, it happened almost to the day. Even more prescient was the bloke who replied to that tweet saying he'll probably have a job on LBC soon. <laughs> how I laughed. <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel uncomfortable about that? Because I worked on um, FUBAR Radio, which is the, is a, was a great station. Uh, and uh, as then... And <laughs> Then, um, oh, what's his name? I forgot his bloody name. I haven't, you know, no, give me it. a clue. Um, no, not, well, and him, Justin Lee Collins came on. He was by far no, no, no means the, uh, the, the, uh, I mean, Andrew Collins used to take the piss out of him all the time. <coughs> the, he's the ex, uh, he, he ran. This um, is comedy goal, Richard. I know, I know it's your, I know it's your territory <laughs> rather a, than let mine. Let me have a drink and see where we go. <laughs> Loosen it up. Give me a clue, seriously. Yeah, the, he used to run a very left wing theatre company and now he's very right wing. John Gorn. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we're back to playing. Back to playing. 
<laughs> playing games. That's the only um, round of applause John Gould's had he, in 20 years. He came on the station and then I had to. I, I decided I couldn't be on the station. Did you? Yeah. I, I never really knew him. I was always, this is going to sound very conceited, but he was always on at the same time as me on, and when he was working on proper radio stations. Yeah. <laughs> and I... And, ratings being what they are I always wanted him to stay there right. for as long as possible when he was doing BBC London and then I think TalkSport because he, he didn't have many listeners and then he went a bit odd and yes. ended up working with you at <laughs> in the same building but and then you did you walked on principle well I just got, I've got fed up with it I just it wasn't what it was meant it wasn't what oh, it was pitched that's to diff- me that's different well, it got, but it was you know it was pitched as a, a great comedy I remember comedy thing Mark and Dolan it, was it and then it was yeah. suddenly yeah, shock yeah. jocks and you know and, yeah that's very different and so, reality so show people uh, LBC when I started working there was, was essentially radio for racist taxi drivers yeah um and, and I spent years trying to turn that oil tanker around for the three hours a day when yeah. I'm on. And, it, and it's worked. You know, it is not... And Eddie Mayer has joined us now from Radio 4, which is an astonishing vote of confidence. And then they hired the patron saint of racist taxi drivers. So, I, you know, I, I've, I've got to live with it. The, I think the, that's true. And I think it's... You know, people used to, I used to write for the Metro, and people go, that's owned by the Daily Mail. How can you write for the Metro? And I used go, to write for the Daily Mail. Yeah. Right, but, yeah. I, but, you know, but as long as they let you write what you want to write. Well, I was writing video game reviews. Yeah. So very, very, very rarely did Paul Dacre come and lean over my shoulder and say can we blame it on Polish people <laughs> but, but I remember I, 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 I remember getting a, a five star review of the, one of the later iterations of Grand Theft Auto into the paper because the arts the, well, I'm fairly confident the video games column didn't get a lot of attention at conference in the morning so I got a five star review in and I said to my wife let's count the days before there's a page 11 op-ed you know the kind of fulminating claiming that this game is the end of civilization as we know it. Six. Six days. Six. I went in on a Friday. The following Thursday, they had an article saying, look what our children are being exposed to. And I think they must have removed from the comment section all the people saying, but it got a five-star review in your own newspaper only six days ago. I had to go into the Daily Mail um, twice. There was, they had these seminar days that every single Daily Mail employee had to go to, which I was disappointed God. I had to go to. But I went twice. It was yeah. worth, but worth the. It was the same thing both times, which was all about the press complaints, all that stuff about what you about not being able to lie in papers anymore. And it was basically a really angry man yeah. saying, you know, <clears throat> you have to now check that there's a fax in a thing bastard <laughs> I've ruined everything I really just wanted to write a book going, is it just, could we just report stuff that's happened then we'll be alright won't we <laughs> just not lie anymore I think we, so it's like yeah. really it's a really, it's, really, <laughs> it's a really terrible thing would you like a beer not, you can not have yet a, I'm alright for the okay. time being thank you okay. I, might, I might do what time is it it's, so we it's, got, we've got some, got some time I was yeah, just, uh, I'll have one with 10 minutes to go so okay. I don't embarrass myself I'll let you know in 10 minutes thank these you are from beer52.com if um, you go to beer52.com slash <laughs> stepper then you can get I'm really looking forward to my beer from beer52.com I can give you some for free Anyway, oh, it's just what a time to be alive. Ooh. And there was we, only, only five minutes ago, suggesting that everything was a bit shit in the world. <laughs> <It's at the laughs> These beers are really strong, and if you, get, if you get the eight free ones and drink them all, you won't matter about what's happening with Donald Trump anymore. It's fine. <laughs> I'll ask you the most question before we go back to yes. realising the world has uh, gone down the toilet. Have you ever been on a plane that's been in a an emergency and seen a genuine look of fear on the face of a flight attendant no I have it was terrible have you really yeah I was coming back from I, was on, I went on holiday on my own to uh, <laughs> I envy you how old were you uh, quite old yeah I, uh, envy, I envy you that uh, I like and, going to the cinema on my own and, I've never had a holiday 
I stayed in uh, I stayed in a really cheap hotel, but I got quite a nice flight yeah. there and back. And um, it was a Virgin plane, and it took off, and I drank immediately drank three gin and tonics, and so I was nearly asleep. Yeah. And then I didn't know what was going on. There was an announcement, so I'd have my headphones in, and I could just see people. I could see the flight attendants walking up and down, and they were saying, "We're turning back. We're turning. We're going to have to oh. land in." I was in the West Indies, and we had to land in Barbados. We had to go to London, and I just saw the flight attendant just looking terrified. Oh, that's scary. And uh, I and also I didn't know what had happened. No. <laughs> so I was thinking this could be anything, and I was really drunk. Yeah. And we were <laughs> on my own in the plane because I wanted to sleep. It was a night flight. I wanted to sleep. There's and no it, shame in that. And, you know, it was no, for free drink. It's, yeah, it's the best kind of drunk as well. That yeah. weird, yeah, sort of middle ground. Of, yeah. it's, it's like you know, yeah, yeah. And it landed, and there was all the fire engines <laughs> outside. There'd been like smoke in the cabin at the oh, back. Christ. But uh, I got an extra day of holiday, so it was good. <laughs> they had to put me up in a much nicer hotel. Yeah, I was going to say, you get, you get an upgrade. They'll put you in a travel lodge. <laughs> it's, good. Um, it's, ter- it's terrifying. Uh, have you ever milked an animal or a human? <laughs> uh, do you know, I've got a memory of milking an animal. <laughs> okay. But I've got no more than a weird kind of sense memory right I think I got I think we must have taken the kids to a farm and yeah I think I've milked a goat yeah I've I've milked but I've blocked it out (laughs) I milked a goat and then I then I drank the milk from it it was for a TV thing but I that doesn't that that seems fine that that doesn't make me squeamish we did go through customs once when my wife was breastfeeding our oldest and she went ahead of me and we had the bottle Oh, yeah. expressed milk and I had to taste it to prove that um, it wasn't uh, that it was actually milk and yeah. I was expecting to be a bit squeamed out by that but I wasn't at all human milk it's I didn't develop was... a taste for it I should I mean, have. I a... in a way isn't it weird that we yeah that, we, that drinking human milk is what we should be yeah. doing yeah. not cow milk it's what we should go why are you drinking <laughs> well, the, the milk yeah there cows? are films you should never watch if you want to enjoy drinking milk there's a couple my, of, well, that's, my wife yeah. has seen those films and, and now we're not drinking now. No, I, I refuse to watch them because <laughs> I really like milk what else can you put on shreddies <laughs> <laughs> oh believe me there's some stuff uh, <laughs> <laughs> managed to convince my wife that I've got my own supply of oat milk out the back because she yeah, drinks well it done. down quite happily well <laughs> excellent just it's a lot of work to get a pint um oh. <laughs> okay uh, question 449 if like Adam Sandra in the cobbler you had the power tran- tra- to transform yourself into any person with the same size feet as you by wearing their shoes after you had cobbled them on a magic machine which person with the same size feet as you would you become? Is that a real film? <laughs> it's a real film. It's a real yeah. film. We've, we've discussed it occasionally on this podcast. <laughs> Adam Sandler's uh, dad was a cobbler. He's a cobbler. His dad had a cobbling machine at the back of the shop that he no, didn't I've use. Heard you talk about it. I just then, never realised it was. Yeah. I thought it was. A, well, I couldn't make that up. I thought it was. That'd be a genius. To, no one could make that idea. I thought it up. was a running joke. I thought it, it was a kind of. Well, I know, but I thought it was a running yeah. joke based on a film that doesn't exist. Yeah. I didn't. Um... You need to know this, who you got the same size feet as first of all. So, who do you know? What David, size feet have you got? Nine. Well, nine? nine, nine and a half. I think I've got the same size feet as David Beckham. Okay. I think so. Obviously, David Beckham. I'd have a go at being him for a while. What would you do if you were David? Take Beckham? Take free kicks. Okay. <laughs> 
I, I, I interviewed him. I did the first interview with him after the Diego Simeone incident. When people find it impossible to believe, he was public enemy number one in this country after getting sent off during during the World Cup. They were burning effigies. You know, they take it in turns somewhere in Dorset or somewhere like that. Yeah. They have. A, sorry, that sounded a bit disparaging <laughs> about Dorset. Sorry, as long as it's not Somerset, it's fine. No, I hate it the might Dorset. be Somerset. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> They, 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 the, the late, you know, the bête noire of the newspapers gets burnt as an effigy, and, and it was it was Beckham, and this was a really big deal. This interview um, for him, it was a huge deal for me. It changed my whole career. So I, 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 oh, I shouldn't tell you this, but I, I secured this interview because the people looking after David Beckham's PR were actually the Spice Girls PR. They'd, okay. He'd migrated across from sports to to music, so I basically gave. I gave five-star reviews to every record released by their client <laughs> roster for about six months wow. until, until I got the David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, very few people turned to the Daily Express for guidance on, the, you know, the, the, I did an interview with Eminem for the Sunday Express. I still don't know how I got there. And at the time, the average readership of the Sunday Express was about 111. And I did the first <laughs> British interview with Eminem before he broke Britain. We did it at the, the hotel on Kensington High Street. We went to Tower Records together, flicking through vinyl with Eminem <laughs> on, on Tower Records. And then we did the photo shoot in the park. And he was sort of standing on benches and, the, and people were walking past saying, who's this guy? And literally a month later, he was, he, he, the, the um, album came out, my name is came out here, yeah. and he went absolutely huge. But the Beckham thing, um, that, what was really sweet about it, I can't remember why I started telling you this, was that they were, she was pregnant with the oldest child, and he said to me, we did the interview, and I never ever gave copy approval, but obviously I'd already sold my soul by doing six months of reviewing everything with five <laughs> stars, so I offered them copy approval, and they rang up the next day, and there was one moment where he said, um, just talked about how much he loved Victoria and how much he was looking forward to being a dad. And they rang up and said, can you take it out? Because some of the United fans won't like that. They won't like the idea that he loves his family more than he loves United. <laughs> which, which takes us back to the footballification of everything, <laughs> doesn't it? Because that's kind of where we are now. So anyway, yeah, David Beckham's shoes. He's probably not even the same size as me. She styled him that day, so we put it in the paper as styled by Victoria Adams. Oh, wow. it, was, it was a, yeah, God. This is, I should do, this is lovely. I haven't thought about any of this stuff for years. It's good, it's good <clears> to go back. I used to and have a career. Now everyone's got some, some stuff on you if they ring up and go, well, you didn't know anything about data and uh, crying. Data and crying. So and why that. can we trust you on that? Exactly and he that. gives out five-star yeah, reviews. News. That's where fake news <laughs> began. I can't started. trust this guy. Data and Crichton. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's well. I'm just, what do you think is going to happen in America? Is it, you know, because it's you sort of what read about the Nazis and you think, well, you know, if I was in yeah 1930s Germany, I'd have gone. No, hold on, this is clearly wouldn't. wrong. And if you did, they'd have locked you up, which isn't happening yet, obviously, in America. But there are, and, and I went in quite early on this, with drawing the parallels with fascism, and there were moments when I felt ridiculous for having done that, but. I, I don't feel ridiculous now. You know, you've got children being separated from their parents and put in latter-day concentration camps. People might object to the terminology, but again, it's, statistic, it, it, it's verbally correct. That's what the words mean. Um, and then the, the fine people on both sides with the Nazis. Um, he was obviously lying. He believes there were only fine people on the Nazi side. That's yeah. become clear since then. Well, all of these things are ugly. The, the, the trans thing is going to be used as a testing the water for taking away 
gay rights. He's already tried to ban trans people from the army. So, so it's all there. It's like a, it's like a textbook. But I still find Trump so fundamentally ridiculous that I can't believe there's a plan. I, I just think he's like a salesman who's very good at telling the, the mark that he's now trying to flog a place at Trump University or some manky old lump of meat called a Trump steak that he'd never eat in a million years, but he sells to poor people or another... There's a lawsuit that's been filed today which essentially sees them all accused, the whole family accused of having run a pyramid scheme. He's, he's very good at selling rubbish to credulous people. It's why he went into casinos. So I still can't quite believe that, that it's A, planned and B, serious. But then that's what they said about Hitler. You it know? is. Well, yeah. you know, he was a joke for a long, long time. A very long time. Way. So was the Brazilian guy who got elected yesterday. Right. There's an astonishing piece from the, um, the Brazilian equivalent of... I don't know if we've got one. Like, kind of a bit like Have I Got News For You, but without a quiz element. And he would be a regular guest on it because he was so funny. Yeah. He was considered box office. So he'd come on and he'd say something like, oh, you, you know, you can't talk English on trains anymore without, or you can't complain about this without being called a racer. And he'd come out with all of this toxic stuff and everybody laughed at him. But I, I don't know yet. I haven't got the answer to well, this. Well, that's the, that the same, you know. So if you say speaking image correctness has got mad phenomenon and yeah, Have exactly. I Got News For You, you got Farage and... Yeah. Boris Johnson. And Johnson. Yeah, that's true. So, so what is the answer? Because the presenter of that, one, of that show now, a woman has said since that she doesn't think they should have let him on, actually, because it's not funny and it doesn't... I did an interview with Farage a few years ago, which yeah. is when my kind of profile moved up a few notches. And everybody wrote at the time that that's it, he's over, he's finished, because, you know, he, he got thoroughly humiliated and then dragged out of the studio by his own PR. Um, but I never thought that would make a difference to anything because the kind of people that like him, their needle's not going to move. And they're the same people that like Trump. So I, I don't know what, what makes the scales fall from their eyes. And that's the thing that's so frightening about within 24 hours of the synagogue shootings, coming out and, and talking about how it's all the media's fault. You know, the guy has amplified the Soros conspiracy theory. He's literally and personally endorsed it. He's described Alex Jones of Infowars as a stand-up guy while CNN tell lies. And... And there are so many people that are buying what he's selling, and he's so good at selling it that I do worry about, about where it goes next. But I still can't quite take him seriously enough, and that might be the most dangerous thing of all. Yeah. Because he's so ridiculous. I mean, this isn't going to go out for a few weeks, and God knows what will have happened. Yeah, by the time well, like, we, we it's, like, it's like the book again. Yeah. Did you see him with the umbrella? No. <laughs> Did you see the umbrella? So he's going up the steps of his plane with an umbrella... And he gets to the top, and obviously the umbrella's not going to fit through the door. And he is. And, and he kind of goes through the door, and the umbrella kind of doesn't. And there's a little moment, and then he just drops it. Just drops the umbrella outside the plane, rather than try to work out how they work. <laughs> Those are the moments where I go, we're all going to be okay. And, yeah. then, and then, then there are moments where I think that it's possible... Well, the future of Western civilization currently lies in the hands of Robert Mueller. I really do <laughs> yeah. think that sometimes. But those are the bad days. The good days are the umbrella. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that sort of thing, like, post the, uh, the, the synagogue shooting, he, they, he did, like, a very quiet and unusually moving response to it. It was one of his responses. Yeah, which has been reported today. Jared Kushner's son-in-law and his daughter Ivanka persuaded him. Yes. 
to speak out against anti-Semitism. So if you need to be persuaded to speak out against anti-Semitism after 11 people have been shot in a synagogue by someone shouting, kill all the Jews, and you think, hey, uh, Dad, maybe now's the time to talk about me. I don't think so. No, seriously, <laughs> yeah. Dad, maybe now's the time. Then, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't, didn't butter any parsnips for me. No. And then you get the, the, the slightly softer conservatives who are beginning to wake up to what they might have enabled. And they will say things like, this was the moment Donald Trump became president. And they've now said this on about 12 separate occasions. And within 30 seconds of them saying that, he will go out and, <laughs> and crap all over the place. But then again. he's covering all his bases, isn't he? It's, it's, it's any, any of the... If you can get a philosophy that kind of... Yeah. I mean, basically, he's like Jesus. Uh, there, there are as similarities. Long as, as long as people can <coughs> interpret how they want to interpret, you're okay. But he's okay, also so weaponized. He can, he can, and, if they, and if you believe in him enough, then you look past the terrible things that Jesus did that no one really talks about. <laughs> he got fucking crucified. What do you think that was about? Uh, so, don't just crucify people for doing nothing. Um, he went around saying he was the son of God. He was insane. So he... Um, see what you think of the old... Uh, the old you didn't get the top off that. So you can't, look at that. He criticises... <laughs> Criticizes Donald Trump's umbrella. He can't even drink a. Keep that away. Like a regular guy, like Trump supporting guy. Very nice. Very nice. But you know, I just it's he's already done so many things that are so terrible. That's it, exactly. That well, there's, nowhere, there's nowhere to go. They'll forgive anything, I think, now. I genuinely do, and that is, that is the, the final stage of fascism. So you just have to hope that the, the, the checks and balances are in place, that the Constitution is strong enough, and that Robert Mueller is going is to have enough evidence to do something meaningful, which will either denude him... Uh, you've got the midterms coming out, he'll probably lose Congress, but he might keep the Senate. So, yeah, it, it's just a question of how... That's what I mean by not still being able to take him quite seriously. I, I can't see the master plan, but I do... Well, there might not, there might not be a master uh, exactly. plan. Exactly. It's, it's just about getting votes, and that's what's happened. It's, it's all politicians now... In the old days, a politician used to say what they thought they wanted to do, and you go, OK, I'll, I'll see if you'll do that. I'll vote for him or her. Yes. Uh, and now the politicians are trying to, to just do whatever, say whatever they can to get that vote. And it's working. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's how you see. I don't think Johnson would have done some of the stuff he's done in the last 12 months if it wasn't for no. Trump, actually. And, and even, even a year ago, Johnson was quite disparaging about Trump when he was saying horrible things about London. Yeah. And Boris Johnson was saying, I think the worst thing that could happen to you in New York is that you might bump into Donald Trump but he's now, he's now swallowed the Kool-Aid. He's seen that it works. So I think it, it, that's what worries me most about, about the contempt in which he holds his supporters. Yeah. So he gives them all this red meat and he had, they have their rallies and they're still chanting lock her up at a president who has literally had his last two campaign managers jailed. They are in jail <laughs> for, for really... Like, um, one of them, I think, is on bail as opposed to convicted, but still, for, for serious stuff. And they're still shouting, lock her up. And again, if they phone my show, I'd say, lock her up for what? And they'd say, because of those emails. And I'd say, what, what emails? <laughs> and they wouldn't know. Yeah. They genuinely wouldn't know. They never got anything after the second question. And, and Trump understands those people in a way that... Because well, he's been ripping them off blind for his entire career. And he understands the way, you know, the, the way the media is working... Because like, you've, there's so many things happening to him, but in the world, in the world, right? So, and there's mm. so many people being accused of things that are outside of this that suddenly you'll think, "Oh, do you remember that six months ago when Alan Sugar did that really racist tweet about yeah. the footballers?" And you've kind of he's managed to just go, well, "If I'd lay low for a few days, a few days, a few hours, or he comes out, he comes out straight away and does the polar opposite." Did you the one that I tell you when I thought everything was really buggered? It was when. 
There was the thing about Skripal. It was the poisoning of Skripal. And um, he was asked, uh, uh, I think it was a White House press conference, or he might have still been in North Korea, but the point was he was asked about the intelligence pointing it towards Russia. And at the time, everybody knew it was Russia, except Jeremy Corbyn, who thought we should send the poison to Russia and ask them if it was theirs. (laughs) Six points behind in the polls today against the worst government in living memory. But that's a conversation for a different day, and I'll lose at least two-thirds of the room. (laughs) Um, So he's asked about the Russian thing, and, and he says, I don't see why they would do that. I don't see why they would send two assassins to Salisbury to try to murder Sergei Skripal. And 24 hours later, he withdrew this and said that he meant to say wouldn't. Yes. <laughs> that was the moment, because I thought, most people aren't even going to notice this anymore. It's become so normalised that he will say on live television, not just on The Apprentice, but in front of the whole world's cameras, I don't see why they would do that. And then it obviously gets explained to him by the State Department or whoever actually has a fraction of his ear because he doesn't have what, what my wife and I refer to as the twat alarm. Because you need, someone, you need someone in your life who will tell you when you're being a bit of a twat. And ideally it's someone who loves you um, as opposed to uh, an editorial in The Sun or something like that. <laughs> but he clearly doesn't have that. So someone managed to persuade him that he had to withdraw from the... from the suggestion that he couldn't understand, he didn't really think Russia would have done this thing. Presumably because his own intelligence services already knew, and they would say, look, it's going to be... So he... he, I know what I'm going to do. So he went back on international television, and he said, when I said, I don't see why he would, what I really meant was, I don't see why he wouldn't. And that, for me... And it didn't get picked up, and got laughed at and, and reported, but that, for me, was the pivot. That was when... That was when truth really died, because that was when he realised, he possibly realised all along. Do you remember when he said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't lose a single vote? That's what I mean by us underestimating his understanding of the kind of people that that buy into his get-rich-quick schemes and buy his books and believe his mythology. Well, he knows that people forget. I think there's, you know, enough people... He knows that they want to. They want to believe. There's loads of other people to come in who might not remember, who might not notice. But the news cycle, if you're doing bad things every single day, you can't possibly remember everything. No, and and there there are a hundred things he's done now that would have been, I, I would have thought career-threatening for any other previous president. I mean, yeah. even during the campaign, all the moments, I'd, I'd try and list some of them in the book, because when he, when, he, when he mocked the disabled journalist at a rally, and then he, then he insulted the family of a dead military hero, which he wouldn't have done if the family, of course, hadn't been Muslim, but that's a gold star family. That would be the untouchable in American folklore, in American self-image. You know, someone who died for America, but because he was brown and they had funny names, Trump went for them, and the crowd lapped it up. And and all these moments where you thought, surely decency will intervene now. Surely decency and common sense will police this eventually. And and they're clearly not going to. But again, with Hitler, all the other politicians were just thinking, oh, we can ride this and, you know, then we'll get to power. And that's what they're all... If they're all just thinking about themselves and where they're going to get rather than... Yeah, and that's that's, that's the bit I don't get. Because, I I mean, it's a bit bit glib, but I I wish we could find some way of banning people who want to go into politics from politics (laughs) and and forcing people who don't want to go into politics (laughs) to go into politics for a finite amount of time, you know. So I'd I'd put Martin Lewis in charge of 
the Treasury for a while, the money-saving expert. And <laughs> I put Brian Cox in charge of Michael Gove's department over there at the environment. And they'd say, I don't want to do it. I said, you have to do it. You've got five years. You've got to do You've got to do the best you can do. And then I'd give knighthoods to people who pay shitloads of tax instead of people who avoid it. I mean, that just seems to me to be a mark of, a, of, of, of patriotism. You see, have you ever seen Alan Sugar? I know he's already a lord, so he's not the best <laughs> example of my plan for the future. But he published his tax bill. Did you see? He put the check on Twitter. It was like seven million quid for <laughs> Yeah, and I thought, well, man, give him a knighthood, not someone Russian who's given a million quid to the Tory party, the bloke who's paying his taxes and all these things. Uh, but in America in particular, how you can be a Republican politician now and, and, and going along with the, with the Supreme Court stuff and, and buying into the worst excesses of, of Donald Trump's personality, not well, just his politics. would be a Christian and say you're a Christian, Christian and, yeah. and go along with all the things yeah. he's doing yeah. and saying. It is insane, absolutely insane. And I... I I used to think that holocausts and really, really bad stuff. I talked about this this morning. I used to think it happened on a slightly different planet from the one we inhabit. I used to think that it was almost undertaken by a different species from the one that we belong to. And, and I was born in 1972, and you could sustain that worldview until very, very recently, that the really horrible stuff would never be us. It would never be our neighbours. It would never be that, that turned us in like the Frank family. It would never be our colleagues who, you know, um, decided to uh, vote to get rid of black co-workers. But it, it, it is. It is our colleagues. It is the people we live next door to. And, and that, that's quite a big thing to swallow. And what people like Trump know, they, they've always understood that. They've always, they, they know how easy it is to re um, invigorate these ancient hatreds and I, I'm still a little bit nonplussed by it to be honest with you because it's so obvious now and still some people who I respect still a bit will deny that it's happening they'll still say oh don't be silly oh get over yourself and then you'll say but X, Y, Z they go yeah, yeah fake news <laughs> do you think we need to if we go through it and come out the other side then things become better as a result. Do we need to have that step backwards to have the steps forward, or is, could it just be a permanent step Look, This woman I told, talked about earlier in New South Wales, so presumably not in an overly populated area. I'm not an expert on Australian geography, but it's not Manhattan, is it? It's, she is it's not utter- South Wales. That's she, what I'm no, saying. <laughs> not, not old South. She is utterly convinced that George Soros is trying to take over the world. And she's in Australia. Yeah. The English language media is particularly pungent in this area. I don't know how you get that back in the bottle. So I get exposed to an astonishing amount of um, trolling on Twitter, which is 99% of the time hilarious. But when you stop to think about what it represents, that these people are being literally handed lumps of moon rock and they are still insisting that the moon is made of cheese while they're holding lumps of moon rock in the actual moon. You go, no, it's cheese. Lock her up. Fake news. And I don't know. I don't know how you get that back in the bottle. Because look at Brexit now. With the, the, the evidence. You speak to someone who runs a haulage company in Dover. It doesn't have to be a Nobel Prize winning scientist. Nadine Dorries will claim that she knows more about international haulage than a bloke who runs a haulage industry in Dover. Owen Patterson will come out and claim that he understands more about international trade than the people who've been negotiating free trade agreements within the EU. The English people who led a lot of these negotiations. I don't know how you get back to just recognising that some people are talking undiluted twaddle and because at the moment we're giving them newspaper columns and radio shows. <laughs> but, you know, I think if you allow stupid people to be in charge... Stu- these aren't stupid well, people. Well, but if you allow ignorance and stupidity, it's not good news for us, one no. would say. 
our civilization will fall and crumble because like if you if you you know that is really why Hitler lost is that he just he he, 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 he overreached he, himself well no he pushed all the science he, he, he didn't like experts he didn't like Jewish yeah. people and a lot of the a lot of the Jewish people experts were very good at nuclear weapons yes that's and, true he could have and, he, and they all had to go out of the country could have been so he, he got rid of his experts uh, and they, the ones who escaped went to America and, and America but, uh, yeah you just thought we were more sophisticated wouldn't you I, I remember you remember the good old days when people thought the internet would spread knowledge and understanding of the world around us because, because it was so d- democratic and Tim Berners I think has spoken about this and, and no one could have seen this coming but I think, you know, I do think people like Trump and, and, and Farage, I think they understand this, the, 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 this level of hatred and bigotry in a way that the likes of I will never fully understand it because I can never quite taste it or feel it I yeah. think Impressive, isn't it? Well, yeah, sorry <laughs> I told you I shouldn't have had a beer <laughs> I thought you said having a beer would make it all better. No, it's, no, it's no, actually... No. It's almost like alcohol's a depressant. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, the book's fantastic. You're very kind. You should buy it. Yes. It's what I like about it, is, for me. Yes. I could read this in a day. It's very digestible. It's, really, it's very digestible. And it's in convenient chapters. It's good. <laughs> it covers a lot of ground. It's very funny and... The Guardian didn't like it. I thought if I can rely on anyone for a decent (laughs) review as, you know, a fully paid up member of the Snowflake left. But uh, I I think they get cross about the idea that we could have dealt better with the rise of the far right because if if the Guardian, if the far right has risen, then who bears more responsibility? The right-wing newspapers or the left-wing newspapers that should have been battling the rise of the far right, but I'm possibly overthinking it. <laughs> well, I would recommend it, even though The Guardian don't. Uh, so go and buy it. How to be right in, in, the right, in a world that in, is wrong. In a world gone wrong. Right. How to be right in a world gone <laughs> I wrong. I don't like that second bit. No. Just how to be right, I'm calling it. And also by How Christ. Not to Grow Up, which it's is based on, apart. mainly based on... I'm really pissed. I'm going to go and have a bite down. <laughs> I had this one last week as well. I don't know why I went back to it. It's, uh, I do know why I went back to it. <laughs> Recommended. So, um, thanks very much for coming in, and uh, good luck with uh, whatever's coming next. Richard, thank you so much. It's been an absolute Ladies joy. and gentlemen, thank you very much. Man. Thank you. Have been listening to Rich Terrings at the Square Theatre Podcast with me, Rich Terring, and my guest, James O'Brien. Thank you very much to Pest for playing this beautiful song for us. Listen to it, it, it weaves a melody. Thank you to the British Comedy Guide and Go Faster Stripe and everyone at the lovely Leicester Square Theatre. Thank you very much to, I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker, and our executive producer, Jim. I like to look at the inside of heads, Myers. That's the guy who's exec producing us. He'll never look inside my head. And this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and Go Faster Stripe production. Thank you for listening. Have a nice Christmas coming up soon, Nick. Hope you're having a nice time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the, on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye. <laughs>